call Steve Witherup. Calling Steve Witherup Mobile. Hey. Hey, man. <laughs> what you doing? Just hanging out, man. Trying yeah. to, uh, I, I was going to talk about having two kids and that's, it's just not true. I had the best night of sleep I've had in probably four months last night. Even through the storms? <laughs> I went to bed way after that. Oh. Yeah. It was fantastic. They came through Charlotte about what? 11? Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know of a time outside of like traveling or being in a different time zone or something. I don't know of a time that I've been to bed before midnight in the last, I don't know, eight years or something. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. That's kind of me and Chelsea. When we went to Hawaii for our friend's wedding, uh, it's like six hours time difference. And we were like very, very good human beings. Like, we went to bed at like nine or 10 and woke up at like six or whatever. And like, Oh, this is what normal adults feel like just in general, because left to our own devices, Chelsea and I would go to bed at two or three and wake up at, you know, 10 or whatever. Oh yeah. That's like our perf- preferred body clock kind of thing. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't know. Is that, I'm sure, uh, you well, I guess pre-children you couldn't even really do that, huh? Because you had responsibilities and stuff. But yeah, I, I if I could run on a platform for something, it would be that there's absolutely no nobility in the time that you wake up. People like, and even you do it sometimes. Will will say like, I want to know what people's morning routines are. What do you do before it's dark? Absolutely no nobility in it. If you sleep for seven or eight hours, it doesn't matter if you wake up at. 2 p.m. or 5 a.m. doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, I guess that, yeah, the circadian rhythm is just a farce <laughs> and not. <laughs> yeah, all of human history has done this. It's fine. You, you've probably figured it out, Joseph. Yeah, you, yeah. Congratulations on that. Um, <laughs> these whole God ordained 24 hour cycles, light, dark, all this stuff is just, you know trumped by our street lights and uh endless entertainment where tv doesn't shut off all night right <laughs> we get it we get into a 45 minute real fight yeah right. you idiot <laughs> oh man um well we're gonna talk about uh luke today I believe I believe so. Um, Zeke is yelling at me right now. Hang on one second. Yeah, Zeke. You just called me. No, I'm talking to Uncle Steve. Okay. I love you. All right. Of course, no response to I love you, which is neat. Um... You can edit in the sweetest little voicing. I love you, Dad. <laughs> like from like a like an eighties serial commercial. Right. 
12 year old kid i love you dad <laughs> that's not him at all um so we talked about this earlier but the idea for today and you know we just do whatever we want to every week because there's no rules um I preached a sermon about the lectionary text probably, I think the file said it was from like 2016 or 2017 or something um, on the text, the road to Emmaus. And so we've, we've talked about it kind of on and off throughout all of Lent and Holy Week and all of that. But this is the text specifically for today. And so I thought we would just read the text and then almost like a director's cut, but not in terms of length, but just in terms of like uh, commentary on top of it, we would just go through my notes and, uh, and kind of see where it led us. And so does that seem all right to you, Steve? Yeah. I, sometimes, uh, and I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but it's like, you know, there's some pastors who almost, um, they would refuse to, to go back and, reuse old sermons or you know or things like that and like it's almost as if you know it's not what god was saying for today and once it's and i just have always been confused by that like good thoughts are good thoughts like i there's a reason i will re reread a book that is you know a hundred years old or whatever like thoughts sure. that were, were given in times like are to be revisited and expanded upon and all that kind of stuff so it's like of course you'll go back and uh, re and think through old sermons that you've preached and I mean, not use all of it or whatever. And it's not just simply, it's not a cut and paste easy way out or being lazy. It's, it's revisiting thoughts that you've already been given concerning certain stories. Yeah. And if I'm, if there's a text that I've preached on before and I look at a sermon, there's two reactions to it. One is like, Oh, I don't remember saying that. That was, that actually is a good thought or I hadn't, you know, considered that since, or I hadn't remembered, you know, since I preached that. Um, and then the other one of course is just cringy stuff where I say cringy, there is some cringe, but some of it is just like you get to see the progression of the way that you see things over the years. And so something that I preached 10 years ago, um, most of the time doesn't, doesn't resonate now with me all that much. Um, but I, I can kind of see where I started and where things have kind of led me and all of that. So I think it's, I think it's a good exercise and, uh, maybe there's, you know, maybe there's something in it for, for people to listen in on, you know, it, I, I don't know that I would do this with one from 10 years ago, but maybe three years ago <laughs> will be just like only halfway cringy or something. I, uh, do you remember some comedians said that if, if you're a comedian and you go back to your, you know, five, seven years ago or whatever and look at your stuff and you come away thinking, wow, I was pretty good. That means that you are still not good. You weren't <laughs> then and you still aren't. Yeah. You've just never changed out of that. Yeah. The, uh, the, the tone deaf singer that just, zero progression and goes back like, yeah, that's what I sound like right now. So that's sounds great. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. Well, I read last week, so your turn. All right. Let's see here. 
Luke chapter 24, 13 through 35. Let's see. Make it just a little bit bigger here. All right. <laughs> what are you laughing at? I when make a little bit big. I thought you were going to go back and be like, Luke, 24. <laughs> it's the, the Bulls pre, pre, uh, pre-game music. <laughs> yeah. <I'm> just... <laughs> six foot six. <laughs> From Central Arkansas. <laughs> Which, by the way, I'll watch every minute of episode three and four tonight with joy. Oh, I I told you I've never <laughs> I've never set my clock to TV except for this documentary series. It's uh, it's part of that twenty four hour entertainment cycle that you just <laughs> made fun of. <laughs> All right, Luke twenty four thirteen through thirty five. That same day. Two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard all the things that have happened there in the last few days. What things? Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning. They came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and he gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And at that moment he disappeared. They said to each other, Didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, The Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. I don't know if I have a story that I think about more out of the Gospels than this one. I, For whatever reason, it is like, I know I say, you know, I love that text, or that's my 
I go back and edit all these, so I hear myself say it every every week. But this one is genuinely, I go to this again and again and again in my mind for whatever reason. I just love, I love all the little details of it. I love that he's concealed, you know, that he, he's uh, hidden from them. They don't know that it's him, his identity, and um, that he's just walking along with them, that they don't. I don't know. The whole thing is, it's really bizarre. I think that's probably one of the reasons that I think about it a lot. It's just because of how, um, how strange of a text it is. It's well, and two, it's just the whole environment that that's going on in, in these types of settings where it's, this is aftermath. Like, right. you know, I mean, it's like, I don't know. It's, it's the sad image of, I don't know, a city that hosted this big parade and celebration, but now all it is is like litter and confetti and maybe it's cloudy. And, worse, you know, it's like worse it's, than that. A, a bomb went off in the middle of well, a celebration. <laughs> right. Yes. And so, yes, that's uh, like a, a complete turn of of events. Yeah. Jesus is crucified that they've heard reports from the women and all that stuff. But ultimately, there's just complete like heartbreak, devastation, confusion. Nobody has any idea what's going on. You know, the information doesn't actually travel at this, at the speed that it does at this point. It, it, you know, so like these people, they're not checking their, their feeds or Twitter feeds. And, uh, well, did you hear he it was spotted over here, Peter Som or all this kind of stuff. It's, it's like everyone was left in isolation to some degree to deal with this. And the disciples are are hiding at this point, you know, based on what just happened to Jesus. So they're hearing through, you know, friends of friends of friends, maybe what was going on. And I mean, ultimately, they're leaving town. Obviously, they're they're walking this seven mile walk together, and it it's I don't know what their pace would have been, but at least what three or four hours of a walk. Uh. <laughs> my inability to do quick math is being revealed. I, I just put it in my, it's in my notes on this sermon. So I'm imagining <laughs> I did some math before I would put that. So your research was a stopwatch and a seven mile walk, right? I, <laughs> You're like, all, so only, they were on the road for 12 hours. <laughs> <laughs> only way to know. Just that's right. got to do it. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so I mean that that part of it too is interesting to me. Is just they're walking for let's say at least three hours, and what was that conversation? Because we get pieces of it, but we don't really get you know we don't get some kind of transcript of what they're talking about. Certainly, there there had to be a ton of wrestling with what had just happened. Yeah, they were processing. They had time on this journey to to think about it and. You know, uh, Luke doesn't waste words. I think it's very, uh, very telling and important that it was indicated that they they were on this seven mile walk. I, I remember reading through this and just having that that jump out at me because, like you were alluding to, you know, like what? Okay, so what's going on here? They are they are trying to think through some enormous thoughts right now right like 
just everything that you had mentioned, uh, the these hopes for a Messiah, uh, the crucifixion, the teachings, the, the you know, but then thoughts of the resurrection and what does that mean as far as like what the prophets had had talked about and all of these traditions that they had, like they're left in this place of uh, of of dealing with all of this, and so they're they have enormous thoughts, and so. The, because it says the, they're they're disciples of Jesus, they're followers of Jesus. They're not right. Th- these are not people that just were you know happened to be in Jerusalem and were like, oh well, I wonder what happened to that guy. It's like they they had structured their lives around following this person. Right, and so basically, if we would even uh, just very vaguely say they are they are dealing with. What does any of this mean? What does salvation mean? You know, resurrection, all of these big thoughts. They're, they're thinking through this. And so it's, it's important to note that they're on a seven-mile walk because, I, that, again, that's not insignificant. We so often are under pressure to think quick thoughts about things. Yeah. Like, like we're, we're so um like whether even you know not just pastors but you know um uh, all of us society whether we're talking about religious things or political things or or whatever as human beings we have these enormous thoughts but yet we feel the pressure to think them very quickly and arrive at these whether you want to call them bullet points or hot takes or or like where do you stand on this or you know, and, all, it better, all of, and it better be right your first time you say it, because yes, there's yes. No, there's no room for like a journey of figuring something out. It is think on your feet quick, and whatever you're about to say has major implications for you. So it better be right. Right, and so basically, we don't take seven mile walks with our thoughts anymore. Like, there's no space for that. There's no room for that. And the and this isn't just this isn't just an arbitrary distance like in my mind what the author is telling us is that this takes a lifetime to think through this is seven miles this is a perfect this is the perfect number this is the the complete number the whole number so this takes a whole journey to even begin to think through and and talk through like so don't don't think that um in mile one you're going to arrive at all of your conclusions that then you will carry out uh throughout the rest of your life. I mean, this is a set, this takes a seven mile whole journey. I mean, we're talking about resurrection, salvation, like, uh, how could all of those be reduced to bullet points? This takes a lifetime to think through and figure out. Well, and so I remember some commentators saying that they were probably husband and wife. They could have been just friends or whatever. It doesn't totally matter. But you have to imagine they probably were thinking different things about it. Like you have to imagine that there was probably some push and pull because, you know, it says we, we thought this guy was the Messiah. That there's you have to imagine that they might be arguing during parts of it too. They might be like, I, I think it was this. No, I think it was that. And and like that's part of it too, I think. Thinking out loud, talking themselves out of things, being open to be convinced of other thoughts. Um, 
being okay with changing your mind, exploring nuance, um, just rereading old stories with different perspectives, um, all of it. Yeah. Like we skewer people like society or whatever, and not to, to make this a conversation about cancel culture and all that stuff, but we, we skewer people. If we go back and we hear that 10 years ago, they said something that sounds horrible now or whatever. And sometimes it really does show people's true colors and there is no progression. And, you know, in light of that, we should deal with those people or whatever. But if you, like you said earlier, the comic or whatever quote from a comic, uh, if, if you agree with everything that you thought 10 years ago, that is not a good thing. That means you have not progressed at all. Right. Yeah. I, I was watching part of a documentary on Jordan Peterson and like, I don't know why this, this might not be significant to, to some people, but you know, those things that just for whatever reason strike you as just ex- an extremely powerful statement, but his wife was talking about him. And she just simply said that like his thoughts aren't quick, but they're long and they're drawn out mm-hmm. and that he, and his thoughts, his thoughts are a story. Like, so as he thinks out loud and, and talks through things, he's, he's telling stories, he's thinking in stories. And so what that means, she said, is you can't just take a chapter. Like if you're going to immerse yourself in his thought, you've got to be there for the whole story in order to, to begin to get it. And so like, you have to be okay. Like if you're going to take these texts seriously, like the, the, you know, the, the old Testament and all that, all these things, like you have to be okay with sticking with them, like getting in the mud with them. Going on a long walk with them. Absolutely. Yeah. You can't, you can't be, scared uh, yes to to take a long journey with them because you would prefer little organized bullet points like like because what i guarantee we don't okay so we don't get the conversation uh that in a sense that they were having but then we also don't get what Jesus revealed to them in the way, you know, we just get that he took them back through these stories, you know? Right. And I would, I would assume, uh, you know, it's our tendency. There might be a lot of people to be like, you know, Oh, why? If only we had that, you know what I mean? Like right. if only we were given that conversation, then it would just be this clear, easy thing that we could just get our hands around. And we understand you know what it all means but but the reason we don't get it i think is because like it it's not something that can easily be given because it is a story it's a long drawn out narrative that jesus is ultimately the central figure of but is is a part of and so what so what jesus didn't give them is this clear like you know 10 point apologetic lecture on how to prove he was the Messiah. Like, how do you do that? If he, if he took a seven miles or whatever and walked them back through like the creation story and Cain and Abel and the call of Abraham to leave his land and to be a people that blesses the, the world and 
Jacob and Esau, these twins who wrestled with God and with each other and these family feuds and Joseph's brother wanting to kill him, but yet him going into Egypt and being the remnant there and, you know, all these stories, Ruth and like how God was at work through all of this, the exodus, the way that, you know, they structured the society and then these artists, these prophets came in and, um, you know, gave these poetic articulations of how they created injustices in the world. Like, like all of that, it's, it's not, all of that couldn't have been given just as a way to give a five point proof of Jesus. Does that make sense? Yes, completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a, that's, that's kind of what I hate about a lot of the apologetics kind of stuff or like people that are really into their own systematic theology or whatever is that it, this just does not work as a squared plus B squared equals C squared. Like it, it is not math. Yeah. The story, the story of salvation includes Judah and Tamar, you know, like incest and David and Bathsheba and, uh, you know, Jacob foreigners and Esau and stealing birthrights and yeah, deception, lies. And uh, I mean, all of it, it's, it's, you know, the, the abuse of power, like, um, you know, the, the hesitancy to invite in the, the stranger and the marginalized. And it's like, it's, it's just the story of salvation includes it's, it's all of that being played out. It, it it's not a like what what do we even think an apologetic conclusion would even look like and what would we even do with that if it if it is devoid of this story of life being played out on this stage yeah like, you know the I, I and i know it's so cliche but there's no better i mean when you use the word journey or a narrative or or whatever, but it, it just is true. It's just absolutely true. And Jesus took them back through these stories as a way to not reduce, but, but expound upon this idea of God's salvific work in the world. And it's, and it's always lived out in story. It always is. So like, even if, even if somebody, you know, had the perfect articulation and had irrefutable arguments or whatever and could stand up and like as soon as they made the final one a light from heaven came on them and they were told you did it you're right you 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 are the sole person you what you just said you figured it out congrats like it still doesn't mean anything unless it's lived out in your own personal history well look what even happens then so when these two followers of Jesus, they go through this, you know, this seven mile walk, they, they think through these things, they hear Jesus um, walking them through all these things or thinking out loud through all this kind of stuff. What do, so then they go and they find the disciples and what does the text tell us that they brought to them? Like, it doesn't say, Hey guys, look at this. Here's, here's the God formula that Jesus gave us like here's the answer right in a, in in reduced form it says they they brought them the story about how jesus appeared to them like they 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 brought them 
their experience and added it to the experience of those who were in that room. Yeah, because it doesn't say that they rehashed the argument that Jesus gave them. It just says that they told their told their story of how Jesus appeared to them as they were walking along the road. Yeah, it was I it was their experience. They you know, they brought their experience of of having Jesus break bread with them and walk them through a whole journey of 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 this God work in the world and they just simply add that to the already existing stories and experiences that the other disciples had. I haven't, I haven't looked fully through these notes cause I wanted to, it to kind of be a surprise to me as well, but I'm, I can almost promise you that I ended with talking about him breaking bread. So not to jump to that too much, but like it strikes me that he did not appear to them after he had fully explained things to them. Like he, his, him being revealed to them was not in the midst of, you know, philosophical arguments or any of that kind of stuff, but was when they just simply shared a meal together and he broke the bread. That's, that's when he became known to them. Yeah. And, but yet they knew something else was happening. Yeah. Like what they said, uh, didn't our what did they say? didn't our hearts yeah we're burn. not we're not our hearts burning within us as he talked to us on the road or something like that right but it 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 wasn't it wasn't enough like they were being led towards this greater experience of just simply having Jesus break bread with them yeah that's a it's such a good point i mean hearts burning within them didn't take them over the edge or something like it wasn't that's not what they were waiting for. They were waiting for like an embodied experience and a, a earth earthy kind of experience of breaking bread with Jesus in light of all of that. So it, everything belongs in the story. Like, right. And I think that's an important point to make. And I, it's something that I think we allude to a lot, but it, it's, again, it's not an either or like this, this going back through these stories, this seven mile journey of these types of hard, long drawn out conversations. It's, it's absolutely part of it. A lot of times it's where the spirit is at work. A lot of times their hearts were burning as they were thinking these thoughts in the midst of, of Jesus, but yet it also leads to an embodied experience of the breaking of bread that they in turn take and share with the community. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot more walking after their hearts were burning. So it, it it just is, it's all part of a continual kind of progression. Um, and so the, the first, the first point that I have, uh, is that God, God is, God is at work regardless of our perception of it. Um, I like the, God is working in the story. God's the one that kept them from recognizing him, the text says, and then their eyes are open, they recognized him, and then he disappears. Like God God is at work in this thing. And I just love, you know, Eugene Peterson always talks about prevenience that like God's at work before we show up to a thing. I, I think that I think it's it's worth like just considering that, you know, and I think I talked about this last week. Uh you know, I, I only ever understand God in retrospect. I can't ever really 
tell what God's doing in a given moment, but like I can look back and think, okay, well, God surely was doing something. And so the message of that for me is just to trust that God is at work right now, regardless of my perception of it. And I think that that is so clear in this text that like God happens to these people. It's not their fervent belief. It isn't whatever. It's just God showing up to them. Yeah. And in, in the moment when verse 17 says that sadness was written across their faces, like yes. they were, they were deeply immersed in the aftermath of all of this. Like, where is God in all of this? And, and right in the midst of that, there he is unrecognizable that I bet, I bet is their life continued. Obviously it wasn't smooth sailing from this point on, but I bet in those moments of, of, of struggle and suffering that they learned to recognize their hearts burning in those moments in a better way. Yeah, and God shows up to us in a variety of ways. I mean, I think everyone's had an experience of, and this is not, you know, this is probably not exactly what the text is saying, but I do think that it's something to consider out of this in light of the text. It's like everybody's had an experience where you just are in bad need of something, a word or a, a something, and someone shows up to you and is God for you in that moment, you know? like full of God's spirit and it, it doesn't matter who they are or, or what they believe, but that like God works in ways that are, I don't even want to say above ours, but are like God works in ways that are profound and outside of our own effort, you know? Well, they are above, but they draw us toward it. Yes. Um, yeah. And then invite us to participate in that. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, <laughs> and each situation presents a unique way for God to show up. Uh, I remember because it's not a universal way. Like I remember, I don't know, uh, won't go into the long version, but very, very hard time of life that I had. And I was driving by myself and there was a hitchhiker and I, I thought, well, Maybe this is my Emmaus road. So I stopped. And I'm like, God, show up and, and help me. And I picked him up and it was just a hitchhiker. Like, <laughs> <laughs> because, because that is, that is the story in every church service you ever were in as a kid. When somebody gives a, a testimony, right. And we, we are encountering angels unaware brother. And that, <laughs> that man, you know, whatever. I didn't get robbed, nor was it an angel. Just, you know, it just, was just God just needed a ride. Right. But, uh, the point I guess is that, yeah, the it, God, God shows up uniquely in the ways that are needed. Uh, and, and the, in the, the challenge is to learn to recognize that, yes. you know, to, to understand how it is that God is probing your heart to burn in the moments, um, that you find yourself in. Yeah, th there is an objective reality called God. Like that, it doesn't matter what we believe about it. Like I, you know, even these storms last night. It's like it doesn't matter if you believe there's a tornado outside or not. 
if there's a tornado, it's going to do tornado things. You know, like it doesn't matter whether or not you believe the earth is flat. Like it, we've already proved it. It's, it's round. And so I just think that like leaning into the, to the idea that there is an objective God, there is objective reality and that we are caught up in it. We might not ever understand it or we may, there may be times that we don't understand it. There might be, uh, experiences where we question certain things, but to lean into the reality that there is something objective that's happening that like, you know, that there is this God that in him we live and move and have our very being, you know, our, our life is hidden with Christ and God. Like we read a couple of weeks ago there, there's something happening that we're caught up in. And so regardless of what our belief is about that, that there is something that we're caught up in that is happening to us. I don't know. I think that that is a, a, that is something that's comforting. Yeah. And it's not, and it's not just for your own sake, you know, like, again, there are bad ways to think about God, like, you know, but, but yet your experience, part of, part of your vocation or part of your calling is to bring your seven mile walk into the community. Like, uh, it's not just in isolation. It's not just for your individual salvation or for your individual understanding. It's like, it's just like the world or it's for nothing. Well, it is. And you know, and look at the slow way in which these borders were expanded of this community. I mean, like the, you know, the Mary, uh, the disciples, like they all had their, their, they did have their individual experiences, their encounters, their seven mile walks. But then, you know, they would come and their shared experiences, their shared stories led to larger um, expressions of the salvation truth. A hundred percent. I, uh, I think that that's... it's in, it's incomplete. It's it's like it's it's incomplete without your part of the story in a sense yeah you know it's until like it's shared it, it hasn't completed its purpose or whatever it's yeah it's not it's not one note it's not one whatever it's 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 the symphonic expression that is needed yeah so so the second point i have is that our doubts don't keep us away from jesus or him away from us like that would have four years ago or whenever i preached this that would have been a a big thing that I probably stuck on because that was what, you know, I was walking in still. I mean, of course everyone does, but that would have been a big point for me because these people are questioning. We thought, we thought he was the Messiah of God. You know, we thought he was going to be the one that redeemed Israel. We, we thought it was all past tense or whatever. And yet Jesus comes and walks with them. And so their doubt, their doubts and their wrestling with it, their seven mile journey didn't, keep Jesus away from them or them away from Jesus. Like I, I still think that, that, that there are people that need to hear that. Yeah. It's um, yeah. So, so much about, you know, the idea of, of questioning and all that kind of stuff. It's, it, it's spoken about in, in odd ways to me because it almost creates it creates a framework that the person going through it, they're defining doubt as whether or not I'm in this thing 
or I'm out of this thing. Right. And what Jesus does is show them that that's where he is. No, this is the thing. Like, like your life is this embodied expression of, of trying to understand this whole God world salvation relationship. Like, of course it includes doubts. Of course it includes confusions. Of course it includes misunderstandings and, and redirection and, you know, all of it. It like, but we've taken that and presented it to people in a way that is like, you're makes them feel like if they're wrestling with something, the only way to wrestle with it is, am I going to stay in it or not? Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, regardless of like the, my notes say like, regardless of where you're at, right smack dab in the middle of your own experience right now, Jesus walks up, he treats doubters with tenderness. He pursues doubters. I, I think, I think the, a better way of saying it in light of what we've been talking about is just Jesus walks with us in this journey. He like, he, he's not, he's not waiting for us to figure something out. He's a part of the wrestling. He's a, he's in like all of it is caught up in the same thing. And so it's not, there's not separate categories for believers or doubters. It's all one thing. We're all figuring it out together. And Christ, you know, reveals himself to us in the midst of that. Yeah. You were, you were saying it reminded you of that, your favorite poem, something about footprints or something. Yeah, let me let me uh, let me read that to us right now. I don't know that I've ever actually read that, uh, other than people making fun of it. Um, yeah, I mean that sound, that me either sounded like somebody who had it in at least four places framed in their home. So yeah, me either. no, no, I don't like that. I wouldn't. No, I don't play with dolls. Um, yeah, yeah, so. that's not a lower back tattoo. <laughs> uh, Number number three was uh, an encounter with Jesus uh, revises our history or changes the way we tell our story. So the whole like didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us? Like I think part I think a big piece of this message that I preached was like that there are moments that can change things for us. Like yes, it's a journey. Yes, it's uh, you know we don't need to wait for big mountaintop things, but when they do happen to us, we ought to pay attention to them, which I guess I preached a few months ago at neighborhood, something similar. Like we should be open to both, you know, mountaintop Valley and everything in between. Um, but it changes, it changes the way, like one of these moments changes the way that we tell our story or whatever. Yeah, that's so true. Um, you want me to go to my next one? Yeah. Do you? Ha- yeah. What's what else do you have? That's good. And you've you've already mentioned this, but uh, number four was uh, the moment isn't just for you. And so it's you know the text says within an hour they're on their way back to Jerusalem. So he appears to them, and then I don't know why it says within an hour, not immediately. Maybe they were like, all right, what do we do? Like, what is? <laughs> so they they figured out like it it that was a journey too, I guess, of trying to figure out in light of that. Now, what do we do? And then there, that's a, that's another three or four hour walk back. So now they're going back to Jerusalem after they had just walked. So presumably, cause he was eating with them. So that means, uh, 
they're walking in the middle of the night. I guess I hadn't even considered that, that they're, that that would have been late and they don't, they would have already taken a long journey, but anyway, they take the long journey back and it's to tell, it's to tell other people. It's to bring them in on the story. And, uh, yeah, I like that. Yeah. I, and I know we've, yeah, we've already talked about it, but it's, it's worth just emphasizing like, you know, a lot of, a lot of the, you know, whether it's self care or whatever, you know, it's some of that just feels so, oh, what's the word? Like selfish, self-serving. Well, yeah. Insular. It, it, yes. That was the word. Yes. It feels so, yeah. Navel gazing, insular, whatever. And, and it's, it's not that the work isn't important. Like, again, it's not, of course, these followers of Jesus should have spent those seven miles doing this work with Jesus, of course. But it's like, but why, you know, it's bigger than you. Uh, it's, it's so much bigger than you. It's for, it's for a cosmic cause. Like, and that's motivating. Like, yeah, I, sorry. I, I was, I was reading, uh, part of the text. So like if you keep going in the text, I guess that, yeah, this makes sense. I, I added some some verses to it. So it's like when when you tell your story, Jesus shows up for other folks. And so it's if you keep going in the story, because uh, I think the text ends with verse thirty five. So if you go to thirty six, because um, he says, uh, I'll just start at thirty five. Then the, then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. Now the new verses, uh, 36. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. And as he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still they, (laughs) I love this, verse 41, still they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy (laughs) and wonder. Yeah, so it's just always everything. The whole thing is enigmatic. The doubt still remains like, you don't ever arrive at anything. This whole like metaphorical seven mile journey thing, meaning it's going to take us a lifetime. I just love that everything is always present in it. It's never, you never turn a corner and have arrived. There is no sort of enlightenment moment where there are, there's moments of progress where you can say, I, I, I know that I'm not there now in light of what, what I've just done, but it's never without more, more road to go. Yeah, and it's. I think it's. You know, you made a very powerful point there. When it's in your, it's in your sharing of your experience that Jesus then becomes present to the others. Like this is, you know, this is almost like Luke's version of um, part of what we read in the Gospel of John. You know, where Jesus showed up and says, "Peace be with you," and then breathes the Spirit on them. But like the Spirit this peace, this, the spirit of, of wholeness becomes more present in the sharing of the Jesus experience. 
Yeah, it's really it's really beautiful, and I, it God is so mysteriously present in all of it. Like trying to figure out how our story works or the mechanics of it, what what exactly is happening. I think all of that stuff is futile. I think it's just faith uh, that like God's in all of it, and that like we don't we don't have to try to figure out how how it's working or why it's working or whatever, but just faithfully telling what has happened to us, what's true to us. It's not about saying one thing that we haven't experienced. That's, you know, that's pointless. That's fruitless. That's, that's performative. It's, it's just the experience that we've encountered exactly as it is with nothing else, with no uh, certitude put with it, with nothing more than what we've, you know, what's true to us. I think that's really important. Um, And I love I absolutely love then, you know, as we're allowing ourselves to read further in the text. Um, so it's like, okay, so, so Jesus shows up again and, and, you know, shows them, them the wounds, like, what do they do with this grand? Okay. This is this, this spiritual experience. Like if this were a church service, it was reaching its, um, you know, climactic moments in the service or whatever. And it's like, uh, what, what do you, so what do you do with that as the community? And Jesus is like, okay, let's eat some fish. Yes. Like he says, do you have anything to eat? It's like, okay. So yes. So this grand, like those, not a singular enlightenment, but these moments of spiritual depth, these moments of, of like heightened awareness of the God presence in the world and amongst you, like, what do you do with that? You eat. Like you, you just eat. go back to your real life and yes, having it make uh, kind of change the way that you just do the very normal things of being a human being in the world. Right. In hopefully healing ways. Yeah. So I, I finish with, uh, Verse 41, they still stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Uh, even with all of that, they stood in disbelief, um, but still fi- filled with uh, with wonder. I found recently God somehow being present in all of my wondering. Uh, he's with me as I wrestle with what's true and real. He's present in all of it. There, there's joy that's found in encountering and experiencing the mystery of God. No search is in vain. No questions are in vain. God's in all of it. Yeah. Well, that's that's a that's a few things from that sermon. I I don't think uh, doesn't translate very well to podcasts sometimes. But I, I it was interesting to kind of go back through that without you know without a ton of lead in. I hadn't read it or anything. It's just funny to kind of go back and see some of my old thoughts about it. I hope there was anything that was meaningful to you guys and just still miss being together physically. It's, uh, I've seen so many people talking about like, Oh, well this is, this is changing the way we do church and we can, we can keep doing this forever. And it's like, I, I, I will keep doing this as long as it's the doing the most good, you know, to, to not be together. But there is something that like, there's something about being together that is so vital, I think, to what it means to be the church. I, I just, I don't think disembodied uh, 
listening to podcasts or whatever, I, it is not a substitute. And so I just miss being with everyone. I miss hugging people. I miss the table. I miss, I miss all of it. Yeah, definitely. Um, Steve, you want to pray for us to close us out today? Sure. God, as we are challenged every week with with these stories that we go back and read, would your spirit just cause our hearts to burn? Help us to not be afraid of thinking longer thoughts. God, forgive us when the temptation is to skip skip the process to skip the the nuance to skip the, the 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 work that it takes god to be open to how it is that you are bringing your presence into the world god help us to recognize that you are with us in our doubts you are with us in our in our confusions Help us to recognize that you are there in the breaking of bread and in the way that we share our experiences with each other. God, take us back to that moment, to those places. God, this isolation, God, is revealing, I I pray to, to people, how desperately that we do need to be together to break bread and to share stories. God, there's something very, very holy about that. So God, lead us through this time and into new times. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome, bud. Um, All right. What if we only talked once a week when we did these? Yeah, that was it. <laughs> Talk to you next week. All right. Yeah. <laughs> You hear me, you hear like a time clock. I'm punching out. Like, I, <laughs> see I, next- I accidentally leave in you going, so I'll, I'll send you the invoice over. Uh, looks like yeah, we went, yeah. looks like we went 80, <laughs> 86 minutes. 80. This is awkward, but last week you kind of, it was like a 15 minute thing that I, I, I know you said we were just talking, but it was part of it. So. It's, yeah. Uh, I've, I, I hate to have to say this again, Joseph, but every minute of the call is on there. We we talked about that. It was in the it was in the contract. I will send you my phone records. I'm not making this up. <laughs> uh, all right, man. I'll talk to you in five minutes. Sounds good. See you, bud. See you.